Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How is everybody doing today? We're back here, not at the typical place. We're not at the studio today. We're outside enjoying the summer, Minnesota summer weather, right? <laughs> when it lasts, you got to take advantage of it, right? Yes, Winter do. is coming. Yes, you do. Uh, so today we have a very, very, very special guest with us. Somebody uh, that's local, but we have not gotten the opportunity to get a hold of him until now. My, I did not. First thing, I did not know you were local. Mm-hmm. Honestly speaking, I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sure. you've been here for a very long time. It seems like just speaking for a little bit of five minutes, you know a lot of people that I know. <laughs> yes, we do. Yep. So, well, you, you guys are a little younger than me. So <laughs> I was around. You know, I was in Saudi for a little bit of time. Okay, okay, okay. okay, okay. And, and probably when you guys got into Dawah and this type of thing, it was around the time I was in Saudi. And since I came back, I've yeah. been busy building my career, no, busy with family. Of course, of course. This happens when you get into your thirties. Just, oh, <laughs> just, yeah, just yeah. so you know, major, so. major. So we got Michael Abraham with us today, a really, really special guest. He wrote a book called Engaging Muslim Students in Public Schools. Zoom this in, it looks right there. So yeah, we'll put the screenshot up too so that people can really access this book. I'm trying to take this copy right here today because I need this knowledge more than anybody else, most likely. If I'm speaking on these issues, we really need to be educated on it. So brother Michael Abraham, I usually love to say Ibrahim, but now I have as to say you like, Abraham. As you like. <laughs> you know, that's, okay? that's not my, and you know, I became Muslim 15 years ago. Oh, and okay. And my, my paternal lineage is Syrian. Oh, okay. So a- Abraham is my birth name. It's okay. not, a, I didn't choose that as my okay, Muslim okay. name or anything. Beautiful, beautiful. It's my father's last name, my grandfather's last Mashallah. name. Beautiful. You know, and it has roots in my Arab ancestors who mm. came here three generations ago. Beautiful. So today we're going to be discussing Mashallah. engaging Muslim students in public schools, how we can raise our kids in this society, protect them in these public schools, and all the dangers surrounding the environment. And so the first thing we want to do is get to know Michael Abraham and really get to the foundation of it. Mm-hmm. Michael, how are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. Jazakumullah khairan for having me. It's yeah. a pleasure to be out here with oh, you yeah. guys today. Uh, for sure, Work for us. sure. For It's really, really, we love to have an expert on a topic like you. Mm-hmm. And this is a very sensitive uh, topic. There is really not much of an awareness on it. Because back in the day when we were going to public school, it mm-hmm. wasn't as like bad as it is now. Because mm-hmm. right now it's extremely dangerous. Yeah. A dangerous environment. Mm-hmm. So a little bit about your background. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up in Minnesota? Yeah, I did. I'm born and raised here. My family was from New York State originally. Okay. I lived okay. in New Jersey for a little bit growing up. But I was okay. born here, moved back, all okay. that type of thing. From the south suburbs here, not too far where okay. we're from. You know, okay. so my original degree was in political science. Mm. And, okay. you know, as I was saying, I'm from a non-Muslim family, but my father is an Arab Christian. So I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. And during the whole time of the war on terror, this type of thing, yeah. Yeah. you know, that changed my life a little bit at that point just because it had me thinking more about the fact that I was Arab. And, you know, when my father's grandfather immigrated to this country. So okay. by the t- with, with Arab Christian immigrants who came in the early 20th century, by the time you get to my father's generation, let alone mine, mm-hmm. you know, the Arab identity is pretty much gone, yeah. except for some of the food that he eats, this type oh, of thing. So my father's like a totally Americanized guy. Okay. So, you know, after 9-11 and all that stuff started happening, I wanted to learn more about what was really going on. Of course. Mm-hmm. So I did a degree in political science at the University of Minnesota. And of I, at first I was studying law, but I switched to concentrating on the history of the Muslim world, okay, especially in the sure. 20th century. Wow. Okay. So once you start studying that, it becomes pretty clear. You have to learn about this religion everyone practices <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in that part of the <laughs> yeah. world. So alhamdulillah, I learned about it. And, you know, it, it 
struck me as the truth very much, you know. Mm. I won't go through the whole story. But were, you, were you always cognizant about your Arab uh, lineage? Yeah, I mean, I always knew about it, but, you know, you're only connected to it in these, these weird ways because th those early 20th century immigrants, they were heavily incentivized to assimilate as soon as mm. possible. You know, and, and actually, in the, I write about it a little bit in the book, actually, because I go through the history of Muslim immigration in the country because there was a few Muslim immigrants from the Arab world at that time. Yeah. yeah. But Arab immigrants at that time, there's actually a debate over whether or not they were going to be considered white people when they came. And they were heavily incentivized to <laughs> land on the white side of that debate. <laughs> really? Especially yeah. at that time. Yeah. So so okay. they were like, we're American, you know, want to assimilate as soon as possible. Yeah. So again, like I, you know, my father never, he doesn't speak Arabic, didn't speak Arabic with Miri, thing like that. He eats, you know, he eats uh, grape leaves and kibbeh and this type <laughs> of stuff. But aside, but aside from that, I, I didn't know anything about it. You know, the first time I can remember uh, being connected to it was when Desert Storm happened in the early 90s. Okay. And they'd show Iraq on the map there, yeah. and then yeah. Syria would be next to them. My yeah. father would be like, oh, that's where my grandfather's from. And it's kind of like, well, why are our ancestors from the places where the bad guys are from? You know, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I could never think of that, that type of thing, yeah. you know? Of yeah. course. But I, but I wouldn't say I was too connected to it. And also, too, I didn't grow up around my extended family either. So, you know, my Man. father, he grew up around his aunts and uncles, all that type of stuff. He had a little yeah. more connection that way. But no, I, I grew up kind of isolated from it in that regard. So I had to go just seek it out. And you know, I did not accept Islam because I'm Arab or anything like yeah, yeah. that. No, 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 I, no, no. I've, I've had that conversation with some family course, members. Right. It's like, well, if you, know, you want to be connected, <laughs> why don't you come to the Orthodox Church with us? It's like, no, that's not what it's about. Yeah. But you know, but it so happened to be the route that's, that led so me to learn about Islam. So your mom and your dad were both Arab Christians? No, my mother's not Arab. My mother's not Arab. My father is. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, my, mother's my mother's Roman Catholic. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Yeah. So she's probably a Minnesotan. You know, actually, sh both of them are from New York State originally. Okay. Okay. So, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, Minnesota's economy was really booming. Mm. Yeah. So they came out here actually for jobs. That's how they came out. Yeah. transplanted Minnesota. So the first person from your family to come to America was your grandfather. Yeah, my, my father's grandfather. My great-grandfather. Oh, wow. That's oh. crazy back. You know, we're talking like 1910, 1911 so, around So here. since we're yes. on this topic, because I don't <laughs> think we're going to have another opportunity to get back to it, um, we have a lot to discuss here. But um, there's uh, maybe you know this about this more than I do. I was just researching things um, passingly. Mm -hmm. Was the immigrants, the Syrian and the Lebanese immigrants to mm -hmm. Minnesota? Yeah. And I think what's uh, which city was that? Um, Michigan. Was that a, no here in Minnesota? Oh, Egan. Was it Egan? Yeah, Egan. I mean, the regional park of Dakota County is yeah. called Lebanon Hills. Yeah. That's because of Lebanese immigrants. Right. Who are, who are so what's, mm -hmm. what's interesting is if you see them today, they're pretty much would be considered like like white, white Correct. people. Yes. They're yes. just white yes. people. Yep. But they have the lineage. And okay. That's very interesting is because nowadays when Arabs do come over from the mm -hmm. Middle East here, they do have some opportunity based off of where they're going mm -hmm. to still retain mm -hmm. their culture mm -hmm. or some uh, level of it. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine at that time, since there was nobody else, and they were like mm -hmm. the first people, just like, you know what? Correct. <laughs> we're just giving up. Yep. I mean, they do today, too. Don't get yeah, me yeah, wrong. It's, it's, like, it's like the Bosnians. The Bosnians, when yep. they were first brought here. Very similar. Oh, yeah. It's, Bosnians, yeah. too. Yeah. 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 Bosnians but Bosnians, they could really pass off. From like, oh, if you meet time. Muslim Bosnians here, yeah. It's like you wouldn't even know unless they tell you or you know that's their true. last name. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, so subhanallah. Subhanallah. Well, anyways, that's really, really, that's quite the, yeah. you're the first person I've ever seen that's fourth generation. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I've met some others. I've met some oh, others. Met some it's others? not a it's not a zero phenomenon. No, it's a com- it's per- I think it's it, it could be somewhat common. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, and actually, I tell this to to Somalis as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, some people will compare the Somali immigration to immigrants of the early 20th century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 2000 to 2010 was actually the highest period of immigration in the United States, and right. definitely of Muslim immigrants. Of course, the general pattern of immigrant communities when they come to America is they're very very tight knit in the first generation, the beginning. Everyone lives in the same neighborhood. They have all the family together. Then over time, the community increases in socioeconomic status, but the community itself basically dissipates. So you can probably see, you know. We're seeing some of it right now in these younger generations. Correct. Definitely. And what people need to be reminded of, what makes Somali immigrants different, there's lots of things that make them different, but but the main thing that makes them different is they have Islam. They have mm-hmm. Islam, yeah. and they're stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, they're yeah, very that, stubborn. That helps as well. Hey, what are you trying like to say? Guy, that helps as well. You know, like, the interesting <laughs> about Somali people is, like, if they're, like, sinners, they'll go off and they, you know, they'll go drink alcohol, but they'll never leave Islam. <laughs> you know, true. like, they'll yeah. be like, what? And they'll fight you about yeah. that. So it's interesting. So, so how did you get into the field of education? I know you went to school for political science. Yeah. How did you get into education? Yeah, so I got into education before I ever studied in academia because okay. when I finished my bachelor's degree, I went to Saudi Arabia because I wanted to work in the Middle East, I wanted to go to the Muslim world, I've become Muslim since then. And the jobs that were available at the time were English teaching jobs of abroad. Course, yeah. So I ended up at a school in Jeddah that was actually a Saudi private elementary school that yeah. was trying to inst- implement an American-style curriculum. So oddly, I ended up learning a lot about American education while I was in Saudi, and that was where I began teaching. <laughs> that is ironic. You, what, you were a Muslim then? I was Muslim. Oh, you were I was Muslim. Muslim. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So uh, this was, I was, had been Muslim about three years when I went to Saudi. Oh, okay, yeah. perfect. Okay. Yeah, correct. Yeah, alhamdulillah. So, yeah. How's your Arabic then? It's not that great. It's no. not that great. You know, and I, you know, there were some brothers like going to Medina, the Jamia, and this type of thing at yeah. that time. So I kind of wanted to do that and do the Talib al-Ilm route, but yeah. I never got to, never you, got know? Okay. So so I, I you know. So I, you know, and I had, you know, I married my my uh, girlfriend from before I was Muslim. Okay. I married her when I became Muslim. Okay. So I started having children, that type of thing. So okay. I had to, you know, I had to get a job. Yeah, yeah. All this type of stuff, you know. So I mean, I, you know, when I was in Saudi, I was actually working day and night. You know, mm. teaching kids in the daytime and adults in the evening yeah. time. Wow. So I really got thrown in the deep end in teaching yeah. and had to learn to survive in that. Yeah. I came back after three years. I was there on a three-year contract. Then when I got back, I got a job at a charter school that was actually just up the street here. <laughs> wow. You know, and alhamdulillah, they hired me without having a teaching license. I got hired on a variation okay. license, oh, no, and sure. I worked there for three years while doing my teaching license here. Okay. And I actually got very good at teaching mm. there both through the support of that school, but also because I was teaching while studying the license, everything I learned, I was able to implement. Right, 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 and I was able to kind of see like what works and what doesn't yeah. work. And there's yeah. a lot that doesn't work that they, yeah. that they oh, teach yeah. us cool. being oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. So that's how you got in. Correct. And then eventually, how was you, how long how, how I mean how long were you in the? I know you went from school to school. Mm-hmm. You told me you were in South High School also. Yeah, for Many a little bit. Many of the popular schools here. <laughs> yep. How did you transition through? Out? So after finishing my license at the charter school, I switched into Minneapolis Public Schools. But from the moment I came into education here in America, I recognized that there was opportunity to teach people about Islam within it. Okay. Because number one, the field of professional development education is just a really big thing. Every yeah. teacher who gets a license, you ha- you're required to do a certain amount of hours of professional development in order to renew your license. Mm. Pretty much every state has it stipulated now that some of those hours have to be devoted to learn about multiculturalism. 
because there's been big multiculturalism movement and and education type of stuff. Yeah. And there's good and bad things about these movements within education. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what Muslims need to do is to try to take the bull by the horns and and influence it the way that they want to. Yeah. Yeah. So around that time when I was transitioning to Minneapolis Public Schools, I started developing this program. Because this was originally a training program, and it's still a training program that I I do regularly with teachers by the same title. And I first did it, you know, you know, I drew it all up, wrote everything for it, used all my, you know. And, you know, even the fortunate thing, too, even before I was in teaching, I was studying Muslims per se in academia. So my academic career had always focused on studying Muslims in a way. So this, this, this book and this project is really the culmination of all that work, basically. Okay. And, you know, being in education, I mean, as you understand, there's really clear cultural clashes that take place. Big time. The, the way that they learn about multiculturalism in education and most teachers here are not very well educated on it because <laughs> most teachers, are honestly, they're not very well educated themselves, to be mm. honest, especially no. if they only studied elementary education because yeah. all you studied was elementary education. You know, like not every teacher is an ethnographer or anything like this, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, education tends to be more comfortable with having that type of learning focusing on ethnicity and race. Yeah. And, but, you know, of course, with Muslim population of students – like you're really missing the big picture if you don't understand their religion. Right. Of course. You know, Absolutely. and, and, and that, that's pretty clear to a lot of teachers. They just have never been offered something that will show that to them. Okay. So, you know, I put the program together, piloted it with Minneapolis Public Schools, the two cohorts of teachers with it there, and then just started offering it privately, reaching out to schools. And I, I had really high demand to it for it. Mashallah. You know, and I expanded it to this was before COVID doing it in person. Right, right. You know, I did it in Seattle a few times, did it in Columbus, Ohio, did it in those areas. Very and nice. now I have teachers taking it across the country. You know, I have, as a, have it as an online course. I do it live online. I have the book. So inshallah, really? it's spreading. And now I've been online for a year trying to make the Muslims more aware of it so they can bring it into schools. Of yeah. course. To educate the schools about their kids. Yeah. SubhanAllah. So one of the first key things, I have uh, different segments that we want to discuss since you've been mm-hmm. teaching and now you're educating, you know what I mean, educators on the topic, so on and so forth. Especially now, how have you seen for the public education system, what shift has it taken? Because well, I mean, it's a long, you know, the thing about the American public education system, it's not exactly the same in all places. Because yeah. American education is local first. By law, it's designed to be that way. Yeah. Now, there is a lot of forces that don't want it to be that, that way. Of course. But those forces, they ultimately have to subvert the laws that make it local first. Of course. So, you know, the the biggest trend over the 20 years in education has been tending to the fact that the American student population has experienced a huge demographic shift. Like, you know, even just Bloomington where we are or Egan Apple Valley, these cities around here, probably at the turn of the century, they were somewhere from 80 to 90 percent white kids. Mm -hmm. Now they're at about 50 percent white kids. Wow. And it is primarily immigrant, the children of immigrants who have driven that change. And, you know, here in Minnesota, that's primarily you no know, i mean there's lots of latino immigrants too of but course, the yeah. somali population has a huge part in that of course yeah so what people need to understand what the community needs to understand that's actually a huge source of power for the muslim community mm. really Be- yes correct because every school in america they're facing some sort of school competition right now of course the charter schools private schools yeah. a huge increase in homeschooling going on and i don't encourage muslim families to send their kid to public school i think they should homeschool send to islamic school yeah. a- as they could yeah but most families aren't doing that. No. And even the families that do, their kids represent tax dollars to their local school. Because how much money a school gets is directly related to how many kids that they have in of the course. school. Correct. So if you have a 
if you have a group of students or you have a community of students who are either unhappy with the school or they're taking their kids out of the school, that represents money that you're losing. Mm, I mean, that's just the money aspect, too. So schools, they have pressure coming from all different types of directions, but pressure from parents and families is usually a pressure that they'll be really, really responsive to. Right, right. It's very unsatisfying being in a school working where the families are unhappy with you and where the parents oh, are yeah, unhappy no. with yeah. you. Is there a difference? I've always wondered the difference between... Li living in a liberal state or a conservative state? Yeah, I think so. And even that is something that I continue to research. You know, yeah. I've, o I've only been in liberal states. You know, one big, you know, one thing there is, to me, there is somewhat of a difference um, just in the Muslim community itself, as yeah. far as how the Muslim community relates to schools, yeah. because the liberal states tend to have more communities with a refugee background, okay. whereas the southern states and the Republican states, it's more just professional class immigrants who came there. That's true. So that can affect, um, you know, that can affect the way that the school system looks at the population. Of course. It can affect the, how quickly the demographics change. Because like here, the demographics change relatively quickly Fast, yeah. so, uh, compared to what you're looking at. So that's one change. You know, I would say, too, I, I mean, you're probably going to have more activism in this type of thing of within course. the school system in, yeah. the, in the liberal states. Yeah. And there is very negative things in that that, that people need to watch out for. Yeah. I will say, too, though, that liberals are probably a little more open-minded to learning about people who are not like them than of conservative course. states. Yeah, of and I, I have reached out in places like Texas and Georgia and conservative yeah. states. I get way more response to do my training and read my book from places in the liberal states. Of course, of course. Of course. Yeah. I heard in uh, conservative states the money follows the kid. That's, even that's everywhere. But not here. Not if the kid goes to a private school. Yeah, no, it, it, it does. Well, look, there's two... I, yeah, go, go, ahead, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead yeah. Well, there, there's, two, so there's two primary sources where a district school is going to get funds okay. for, for their operation. Okay. One is the state government. The other is property taxes. Okay. Okay. So, that, I mean, that's part of why, like, wealthy, higher socioeconomic status places... Big role. Yeah, you know, they, they have more stuff. Yeah. And char but charter, charter schools, they will, they will usually only get funding from the state, okay? Now, if you take your kid, uh, if, if you are in Bloomington here, okay. and you open, your role, open and roll your kid into Egan, yeah. the money that the school here in Bloomington would have gotten from the state, they won't get it for that kid. No. They'll get the school in Egan where you send him will get it. Okay. So there's a direct relationship between the enrollment that a school has and the amount of money that they get. Okay, but what I was trying to say was mm. if I open a private school, mm -hmm. And the local, let's say a private school in Bloomington, and the kids come to me, mm -hmm. the money that the state would have given to them. Oh, for yeah, them to I go see what you're saying. I'm sorry. I don't think it will come yeah, to a private yeah. school. Okay, this could be something that's changing. Okay. But, but yes, what you're referring to, that's called vouchers. So, okay. yes, a lot of the southern states, actually, Wisconsin has a voucher system. Wisconsin has a system. And, and Ohio does as well. Yeah. So, so it, it really changes state to state. But, yeah, there's some states where religious private schools can get tax money yeah. through the voucher system. Now, a recent case, I actually have a podcast on this uh, with okay. Ismail Royer on my YouTube channel, Abraham Education. Okay. There was a Supreme Court case over the summer uh, ruling on a case in Maine that actually stipulated that when you have a neutral public benefit available to any, um, anyone from, from any private citizen from the public, yeah. the state essentially can't discriminate against religious institutions in offering that. Now, why that's significant, charter schools, charter schools are not branches of the government, but they no. are publicly funded. They're yeah. schools started by private citizens yeah. where they go through the process of being able to start a school. But they don't have like a school board that's a branch of the government right. or anything yeah. that funds them. 
So right now, the way that states with charter school systems, which is 46 of the 50 states, all yeah. understand that is, well, religious schools don't count in that. But this most recent Supreme Court ruling has essentially set the precedent yeah. that if a state says that, it's going to be against the First Amendment of the, of the Constitution. Wow. So, the, yeah, this whole aspect is actually something that the society is waiting for a religious institution or a charter school itself to try and challenge. Yeah. Wow. So if you know someone who runs a charter school around here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> suggest to them that they try petitioning to, yeah, to their authorizer and to the state that, hey, we want to start having Islamic studies during the day, mm. and you can't, because of this new Supreme Court ruling, you I mean, you gotta get a lawyer and stuff on their side, yeah, and all this yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah, so. But you know, but but the precedent is actually set for for countrywide yeah. voucher systems under the charter school system, essentially. Wow. See, this is the type of information that we need because yeah, well, need the changed, only way yeah. the community will survive here is if we protect 100 because because originally schools. charter schools mm -hmm. have to be hands off like religion and mm -hmm. and, and so things like that. And public schools, it could it could be taught under like. Uh, history or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. but uh, charter schools are a little bit more sensitive mm -hmm. um, also we've been seeing a lot of uh, Somalis open up charter schools correct here. And the so state like, is actually primed for this type of thing yeah, yeah. So I'd say the state maybe needs it the most okay, oh, okay. you know so do you okay what are the pros and cons or the good things and the bad things you've seen mm -hmm. from these uh, charter from this sort of from charter schools up, uh, charter schools well, you know, the thing about it is I think that the reason the community did that, and I talk about this at length in my book, like like there's certain issues that the, the community could not resolve with the district schools mm. and the schools that they didn't have ownership over. And okay. those schools are just reluctant to give the community ownership in a big way. You know, one of those things like being birthday celebrations. You know, like we had a, genera have a, had a generation of Muslim kids here you know, conditioned into celebrating their birthday, <laughs> pride territories and their birthday. I mean, that's seated in elementary school. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge thing elementary schools do. They, well, when's the kid's birthday? Let's put the star when their birthday is. Yeah. Birthday comes around, we're going we're gonna to sing happy birthday, all this everything. You know, music class, yeah. uh, celebrations around holidays, all that type of stuff. Yeah. You know, the community couldn't properly educate the districts on this. The districts, probably at the time they came, weren't more open to learning about this. And it's something that, you know, I mean, teaching – Teaching people about Islam is a deep thing, yeah, you know. It's it, very you, deep. You, you, and you know the good thing about the professional development system is I'm able to get a captive audience. Okay. That is something that's actually really key to educating the society Correct. about Islam here. Yeah. Because you know it can't always be reacting to some type of conflict or, or trying to inject ourselves into the non-Muslims conversations or yeah. this type of thing. You yeah. know. So the nice thing about you know, in public school teachers, they don't really have a personal interest in learning about Islam, but they do have a professional interest yes, in learning about yes. it. So, I mean, a big thing I talk about in the book and the train is all these problems that have been going on that a lot of the educators don't even know exist below the surface. So, you know, I think the community, when they started all the charter schools at the time, the hope was, well, if we just keep the kids together, we just keep them in the same place, we it keep them be, away from the non-Muslims, okay. you know, that will give us some modicum of control over their assimilation. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that happened to a degree, but in other ways it hasn't happened to a degree. No. You know, because, you know, a, a big disadvantage, first of all, that charter schools have is they don't usually have as much funding as the district schools. One, because they are usually not getting funding from the property taxes. They're usually only getting money from the state. Mm. Second thing, too, is, you know, a district school, like Bloomington Public Schools here, they own all the property where their schools are on. Okay. So they don't need to pay rent to themselves or the state or anything for their place. But a charter school usually has to pay rent or they have to try and buy the building wherever they are, that type of thing. So they have extra expenses and less money to do it with. Yeah. Now, what that results in is charter schools usually are hiring young and experienced teachers, and That's they usually true. have a lot of turnover with teachers. Okay. That is something that can 
really affect the efficacy of an educational institution a lot when you have people going in and out all the time. You know, also, too, I think teaching classrooms that are almost all Somali kids was a dynamic that the teaching force here in Minnesota was, <laughs> was not ready, was not ready <laughs> for in <Yeah>. general. <laughs> I mean, and, and you, know, you know, it's funny, but, you know, Minnesotans, they are, they're maybe the most socially introverted people on earth. Yeah. And, and Somalis are the complete inverse of that. That's you know? so true. So, I mean, you know, Somali kids, when you have a, when you have a, large group of Somali kids, you have a classroom that's all Somali kids in the classroom, they usually know each other very, very well outside the classroom. Immediately. Correct. And whatever social, you know, interaction that they have going on, yeah. just they just continue whatever goes on outside the classroom <laughs> right the class. into the classroom. <laughs> yeah. so, and I, so you actually have to have some really specific skills in order to teach a population of students that is highly social like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and these are some of the things that go over in my train as well. There are things that have, in education that have been, that, that tend to that actually. And but it's not the stuff that is most commonly taught. And it's not yeah. the stuff most commonly taught in teacher education. These are some of the secular aspects of my book and my program that teachers really appreciate. Yeah. Some of those things too, I've actually gone over on my YouTube channel because okay. some of those things involve parenting skills that are really good as well that uh, Muslims in general need. Yeah. And on Abraham Education, it's not thing people can go to. I have a parenting course on there now. If they look in the playlist, it's called Mashallah. Parenting Skills Muslims Need. No, that's okay. necessary because in this mm-hmm. in this society you have to adapt. Correct. Yeah. You can't just have the same way you used to do things mm-hmm. because you're not in the same place you used to be, mm-hmm. right? So that's very important. No, for sure. But you know, it's been a big thing because, um, you know, I mean, me, I don't know what the sense you guys have is, but the sense I have is, you know, over the past twenty years, like there's been a fair amount of animosity developed between the community and the public school system. Mm, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel that way. Of course. I mean, course. one one on the communities and having all these issues that they can't reconcile. Yeah, I, I think I've seen that. Why they yeah. started the charter Parents school are taking system. their kids out and yeah. they're trying to take them somewhere. Yeah, else. and I mean, sometimes even they can't take their kids out, but they don't, um, you know, they don't totally know what to do. And no better alternative. Yeah, but the, you know, and then on the education system side. Like if they had this change in demographics go on in their student population that they weren't properly prepared for, you had a lot. You've had lots of teachers be frustrated with teaching those kids. And it's, just, it's, 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 it's just not good for the community uh, overall. No, 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 it's not. It's not. It's not. Yeah. I don't support charter schools. I honestly, I'm against it to a certain extent because mm. quality of education is bad. You have the same curriculum as the public education system most of the time, correct? Yeah, I mean, curriculum is kind of a. Curriculum can, it can change place to place. You know, first of all, there's no federally set curriculum yeah, in, okay. in the United States. It's arbitrary. Oh, that's that, interesting. That, that is actually against the, United, the Tenth Amendment of the United States Constitution. That's to interesting. A, to have a federally set education. So it's very much state by state. Mm. Okay. What the states do mostly, though, is they, adro- they adopt what you call standards. Okay. Standards are like the articulation of skills that kids are supposed to have by the end of each grade level. Now, the yeah. thing about, the, you know, honestly, one of the worst things about public, public education right now is, honestly, kids don't learn much of anything in public education. No, they don't. And par, par, part of that is because the trend that has been going on since the 1990s in public education is to make the curriculum what they call skills-based, mm. which means that it's not knowledge-based. Part of that is because in America, knowledge itself is politicized when it's in the public true, education true. system. Like if you teach about this, this side is going to yeah, be mad side, about yeah, it. If you teach about that, yeah. that side is going to be mad about it. So on a, on a higher level, what the public education system has done is it just tries to talk about teaching these general reading skills or these general math skills, yeah. and the actual knowledge contained in it is removed. Mm-hmm. So you and, and there's not a whole lot of research that backs that that is an effective way of teaching. This yeah. is another thing I go over in my book. 
And the result of it is kids aren't actually learning much of anything in schools. They're not, they're not learning knowledge, and you have an education system where they don't even think about teaching as transmitting knowledge to people. I, I think I've learned more outside of oh, yeah. school Lots than of I did. Because so, then I had to kind of teach myself about things and kind of re-educate, I would say. And and to be fair, I mean, I wasn't like the best student either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that whole little, of course, um, yeah. just especially high school, is just that era where mm-hmm. you're just, hey, man, let me just enjoy my <laughs> life right <laughs> yeah. now. So yeah. it's that, that also gets in the way, yeah. So do, you, do you ever remember learning about like identifying the main idea or this type of thing? Or yep, you, remember, yep. oh, you know that yep, that yep. type that type of learning is a bunch of garbage. <laughs> like, like that. Yeah, what's like, the main idea of the story? <laughs> yeah, well, the, well, the thing is, I mean, I mean, the, uh, that, that's the, that's the theory, the the educational theory that underlies education right now. Mm. You can just teach the general concept of finding the main idea in a reading, yeah. and once you get that in a child's brain, well, then they'll be able to find the main idea in anything that they read. So therefore, what you actually are reading in school, it doesn't even matter what you're reading. Yeah. What matters is that they have to identify the main idea. But the thing is, whether or not you can find the main idea of an article is directly linked to how much background knowledge you have about, about the information <laughs> in that article. That's so true. And, and two, also, when you conceptualize education that day, is actually a big problem I see these days is they'll bring articles reading about something from pop culture. So let, you know, let's read about this movie that came out, or yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah. read an article comparing this rapper to that rapper or this type of thing. That type of stuff is pretty widespread in education these wow, days wow, wow. because there's not actual focus on kids learning real knowledge because yeah. real knowledge is politicized. That's so so lots of people are getting a bad education in America yeah, yeah, because yeah. of this. Okay, that's some really, really good stuff. Let's transition into the really the Muslim students and what they're facing mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. on the public school system. Let's mm-hmm. start with maybe music. How mm-hmm. has that impacted the Muslim community and what can, the, what can, what can be done to kind of like what can parents do to make sure their kids are not exposed to a music class and so on and so forth? Yeah, I mean, these things are difficult. You know, first of all, parents have a right to essentially withdraw their kids from anything that they don't want them partaking in. So a, a lot of Muslim parents don't know I that. know, a lot of parents are aware about that. And actually, too, going back to the Supreme Court, you know, sometimes rights that you have change a little bit in yeah. America based on the court system also based on what district court mm. you're in. There's some variation laws in that. But the Supreme Court that we have right now heavily favors parental rights in education. So that's something, that's something that we should proactively yeah, take yeah, advantage yeah. of. That's good. So any parent that has any issue with a particular music class or anything mm-hmm. like that, they can take their kids out. They can take their kids out. And I address this specifically in my book, so they can give them that too. <laughs> if, yeah, perfect. You know, and I put this together to comprehensively educate about these types of things. But you know, look, you know, a lot of schools where there is a majority Muslim kids, yeah. they've kind of figured this out, okay. and now they're not offering um, music classes anymore. Okay. That's happened in a few. I would say, though, in schools where they are not the majority, this is common, and especially yeah. in elementary school, they just assume that kid's going to take music class. Right, yeah. right. So, so it's a huge thing, and there needs to be proactive education about it. Yeah, what was true. the point of adding music classes in the whole education system to begin with? I mean, well, I mean, who, Western, was the, who was at the table and said, you know what, we need to add music. What was it, well, well music? Western civilization's whole idea about a liberal education that is that it's going to be well-rounded. Arts. So you're going to look at all these yeah. different types of things, you know. And, I mean, that began 
you know, Christianity has a strong relationship with music. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure, you for know, sure. singing no and choir it. and stuff in Christianity yeah. is a whole part it's of a major it. Thing. So, so really, a transition from then. So, it's really always been around in the yeah. in the American and Western education system. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, that's very very good for parents to know. Mm-hmm. What about sex education? I think this is the new and the most deadliest <laughs> of <laughs> classes that's been on the table for the last five six years. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing even preschool to kindergarten they're being exposed to. Yeah. Sexual <laughs> images and so on and so forth. What are your the, like, well? This is without a doubt the number one issue that Muslims ask me about. By yeah. far and away, by far and away. It's also yeah. in your book, though. Yes, I do talk about. Well, look, the thing is, what school, what what Muslim families can do and should do, and that's what okay. I say in the book. They need to insist that the school holds educational seminars for the family where they inform them very clearly Mm. what they are going to be educating about these things. I think that's a good idea. The parents come together and that's that like mobilizing power there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about this issue, again, different states have different laws pertaining to it. Okay. There's, you know, the, the states right now that are the worst, it appears to be the West Coast states, like oh, yeah. California, Oregon, and Washington, especially it's in Massachusetts. <coughs> it's just oh, not good bad. either. You oh, know? God. So, so and, and actually, I don't remember them off the top of my head. I do have a video that I did with a YouTuber whose name is Mr. Middlepath. I did, okay. a, I did, a, I did a podcast with him on this. There, there's, I think, nine states where they have, not every state even has sex education, actually, as part of their state yeah, law. Nice. Curriculum, yeah. And the ones that do, they have varying degrees to how much they teach about it. Some mm-hmm. of them teach abstinence only. Okay. Some of that, there's four states where they explicitly cannot teach about homosexuality, and they even have to teach that it is a negative form of sexual behavior. Wow. Yeah. Those are uh, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi. Mm. Those, those states. Okay. Yeah. You, a teacher cannot teach sex education without... Yes, highlighting those points. Correct, like, like it's part of their it's part of their AIDS awareness curriculum that yeah. you have to teach that yeah. homosexual behavior is a negative health choice in, in those states. Wow, you know, and now in in um, but in some states, certainly in California, they not only have sex education, but they have it stipulated that it has to be LGBT inclusive. And, you know, of course, it's kind of open, like, you know, you, it's, it's, the it's, dis- each district can decide what that means. Okay. Now, usually they are supposed to take input from parents, but the person in charge of that in those districts is usually someone who is on board with the whole LGBT agenda. Yeah, some political so, figure. Maybe. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Even charter schools? Are they forced to well, follow that standard? Yeah, you know, at charter schools, a lot of times, that, that changes state to state. Yeah. In the state of Washington, uh, since we're talking about those states, charter schools are kind of a new thing. They weren't yeah. allowed there until re- only recently. Yeah. California's had them for a longer time. I don't know the specifics about this, but charter schools, they are often given the freedom to have variation in, the cur- in their curriculum compared to district schools, yeah. so long as they keep their test scores up. Yeah. The one area where that will not be the case is if there are graduation requirements connected to this. And California is a state, I believe, where they have made it, it's required, you take the specific type of sex ed course in high school, it has to be LGBT inclusive, that type of stuff. Yeah. So California is a state where it's really hard to get away from. The thing is though, this is the thing about it, you know, teachers in American schools actually have a lot of independence because of the teachers' unions. This is a whole okay. thing people don't realize about education. That's a very good this point. is good. E- Let's e- talk e- about that. Yeah, even when districts create curriculum, because people will talk about, like, there's something recently about stuff. This is what Portland Public Schools are going to do with the kindergartners, this type of stuff. And it's bad stuff. But even when a district puts a curriculum together and they say to the teachers, here to use, that, use this, it only has the legal weight of a recommendation. 
And it really only functions as a recommendation to those teachers because the contracts that those districts will have with the teachers union gives the teacher autonomy and gives them protection. It also gives them limited accountability. So this is both an opportunity and something to be aware of because essentially any teacher in an American school, especially if they're a union and on a contract, and charter schools tend to not have teacher unions, but the teacher unions still, they set the, the kind set of the, the environment, right, they right, set the right, tone right. for what's expected in the profession. These teachers have a lot of independence. So it ha there have actually been studies that have been shown that even in these states where they require sex education to be LGBT inclusive, yeah. a lot of schools actually choose not, not to, to do it on the ground level, and even more so teachers just choose on the ground level not to do it. Because yeah. usually as a teacher, you have a sense that it's not appropriate at the age level, this type yeah. of thing, especially yeah. certain ages, you don't want those topics to come exactly. up at all. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's just gonna be awkward and create disruptions, all this type of thing. But, you know, on the flips, so teachers are protected in this regard. Okay. Now, on the flip side of that, if you have someone who's a teacher who is really all about this stuff and yeah. they've entered the teaching profession they're because they want to push the in this stuff, correct, and they're going to they're gonna <laughs> do that. It. You know, and look, you know, parents need to try to go to kids' open house meetings and this type of thing. Usually schools host those. Yes. They need to try to get in there. They need to reach out to their kids' teachers, say that they'd like to they volunteer sometime and just express them that they want to come into the school. Yeah. If a parent expresses that to a teacher and the teacher's like, no, you know, that's not a good look for that teacher. No, no, no. A lot of times these teachers who are more on the activist bent of this type of thing, they'll yeah. have certain flags up. Yeah. They'll have a triangle a lot uh, of times in, in the door, this type of thing, yeah. a rainbow triangle. That is yeah. something, you know, there's an activist group called Gleason, G-L-S-E-N. Oh it's like gay lesbians, gay, lesbian, straight equity network. Okay. They're, they're heavily corporate funded. They're funded by, by Target, wow. Disney, YouTube. Let, like, wow. They have a lot of money behind okay. them. You know, they, they will distribute to schools and teachers like, like these safe place triangles with the rainbow on it and encourage teachers to put it up in the room okay. that says this is a safe place, this type of wow. thing. So sometimes teachers will have that up in the room. It's like some Harry Potter stuff. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh my God! Look, I, I will tell you though. Actually, one of the biggest areas for parents to be concerned about is with counselors in schools. Mm. Okay, counselors go yes. through a little bit different training program than teachers. That's interesting. Counselors are heavily linked to the field of psychology yes. and heavily linked to the field of social work. Yes. And this community that we are talking about, that those are fields that they have really they influenced. Yes, Absolutely. they've really entered Absolutely. and influenced Absolutely. a lot. Mm. So it is very likely that counselors in schools they've had specific trainings over what to do if a kid bullies another kid based on sexual orientation or gender expression or yes. this type of thing they're saying these types of days. Yeah. Or if that kid themselves feels that sort of way and they want to talk about it. They have specific protocols that aren't legal mechanisms necessarily, but they're things that they will say within their own field, well, this is best practice, this type of thing. If a kid bullies another kid based on that, a lot of times that might involve some sort of remedial education which means teaching the kids things to try to change their mm. mind about how they about think how about they that. See it. Yes. Correct. So, it. so it is important that parents understand that if your kid is bullying someone in the schoolers type of thing, you put them at risk for that type of thing happening. Yes. A big part of what these protocols, especially that this group Gleason that I'm talking about puts out, they, they, they actually, you can look it up, they, they have like what they call a model policy framework. So they've like written up policies that they say this should be schools' policies towards LGBT kids or this type of thing. Interesting. In, in there they say that 
if the kid doesn't if the kid expresses to you that they identify this way or that way and they don't want their parents to know about it you shouldn't tell the parents about wow. it so that that is where that type of thing gets into it okay so that that's a big area for um, parents to be concerned about and you know look the thing is with muslims educating the public education system I don't really recommend, I mean, this is part of why I put the program together, because yeah. I don't really recommend that they start with these issues. Okay. Because it's a whole problem in yeah. educating people in general about Islam and our needs as Muslims yeah. to always be starting from an area of conflict. Yeah. And, but, you know, when you teach them about Islam properly, and especially that our religion is not something that we can just change based on our personal sh- subjectivity, yeah. Yeah. you know, you can kind of have a little different conversation around these things. And especially, again, with the trend, uh, with the way things are going with the Supreme Court and with law in America, that's given us more leverage in terms of parents' rights and especially mm. religious rights yes. in yeah. the public school system. Yes. Yeah. So no, what? No, I was, no, I was just going to say, <clears throat> it's, I think that's a good idea. Um, it's, an, it's an important point to, to mention for parents not to start off that way mm-hmm. in those area points. Correct. And which is interesting is you, you would do the same thing for da'wah. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember there's a there's a guy who's a construction worker, mm-hmm. and um, uh, he he hadn't become Muslim, but he was talking about this, and he was like doing some work around the masjid, and so there was like some ants, and they were like forming like houses and whatever, and so that was interesting to him, and he kept looking at them, and so one of the <laughs> uncles came, and told the guy the construction worker, you know. Prophet Solomon spoke to ants. Mm. Like that's not a good place yeah, yeah. to start <laughs> yeah, yeah. for Dawah, right? <laughs> right. So you want the person to understand the comprehensive, um, uh, have a comprehensive understanding yeah. of what your lifestyle, mm-hmm. because that's what Islam is. Is it? Because when you say religion, most Westerners will think about it as something like, okay, mm-hmm. this is something in the church, Correct. and it stays in the church. Correct. And when you leave your religious place, yeah. you're you're like us. Correct. But. Islam is not that way. No, it's, not. it's a comprehensive way of life, yep. and it is something that you know. Uh, subhanallah. It, it I mean, you know, that's, this is why I really had a passion for starting my project because the okay. thing is, we have to put Western society through an educational continuum yes. in teaching people about Islam. That's true. Now, you know, again, how do you do that? You know, the public education system with professional development, it is an area where that can happen. The environment is right for it because of this emphasis I'm talking about on multiculturalism. You know, a big thing, too, in the schools, like preceding all this type of stuff, is the kids being asked to do things and inculcating habits that are shirk. You know, um, that's, that's you know, teachers at telling kids to cross their fingers. You know, uh, t- telling kids to knock on wood. Knock on wood. You know, a big mm-hmm. thing around here Stuff that you, you know, there's things in the Minnesota education curriculum, specifically teaching, uh, uh, specific to teaching about Native American culture here mm-hmm. in Minnesota yeah. and the Native American tribes here, which you know is fine for kids to learn about that. But sometimes uh, they'll do this in Minneapolis. They'll ha- they'll, they'll do like a mock uh, uh, Native American powwow. Which is which is a religious, ceremony, a religious ceremony that the Native Americans would do, yeah. and they'll, they'll say, hey, "All the kids, oh, go jo- join in," and all this type yeah, of thing. Yeah. There is so much stuff like yes. that, and you know, you, you you have parts where you learn about uh, Greek mythology, and you learn about the ancient Roman gods and yeah. the ancient Egyptian gods, and all this type of stuff. Yeah. You know, the more creative that teachers try to get with the type of projects that they have kids do around that, the more it involves things that mimic it, or things, you, you know, or things that honor it, or this Absolutely. type of thing. So, I mean, just that is a big thing that the education system needs to be taught about yeah. teachers need to be taught about i think teachers need to be taught about also our parents also need to be yeah. educated about how these things work as well yeah but i think some of the tips you're giving are very important mm. and we need to highlight that highlight those even more 
parents need to know who their teachers are, mm-hmm. who's teaching their kids. Mm-hmm. They need to know the issue of school counseling mm-hmm. and how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should be more involved in the schools Correct, yep. as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's sort of the, the same Duxie method where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to drop my kids Correct, off exactly. and go to work. Yes. Right. But even if you do that in Duxie, mm-hmm. you know, that's not even recommended. Right. Yeah, you exactly, should be yep. well aware of where your, where your kids are doing and yep. picking up because if you don't, than somebody else. No, that's asking. It's asking for all kinds of problems. Exactly. With that. And I get it. You know, I mean, you know, especially for immigrant parents, there, there's a lot of anxiety that comes along of with course. that. So it's been difficult for them. But uh, you know, a generational turn is starting to take place. And actually, some of the younger parents out there who, yeah. and we have more and more parents who did grow up here themselves. And they even, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. And even though their kids might be the younger ones, and they might be younger amongst the community Absolutely. of parents, they have to take the lead on this. And they have that's a true. great opportunity, Absolutely. actually, to make that turn, yep. that change. Yes. That's true. So to conclude the sex ed part, what can parents do to actually, can they remove the kids out of those? They can. You, you know, you, you can craft a letter to the school that lets them know that anything involving sex education, I want, my, I want to know about it first, and I want to make a decision over whether or not my child's involved with it yeah. before that they are put in any education about that. They can let the school know about that with a letter beforehand. Another thing they can do as well is they can stipulate that they want to be informed and they want their consent sought before their child is given any services related to mental mm, health yeah. or, or related to, to behavior remediation. Yes. That's like specialized counseling. Okay. Have, that, you, have you ever prepared this type of letter? Well, you know, actually, there, there is actually some conservative organizations in America who have done this. Okay. Wow. I, I, I did, again, if people look at the um, YouTube channel, Mr. Middlepath, Okay. Uh, he has. He's a small YouTuber. I did a podcast with him in December, okay. and I went over some of those things in there. I am going to try to put more out about this on my own channel. So. Now, one of the things about this... By the this way, your, your channel is called Abraham Education. Abraham Education. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to link Correct. it down. Yeah, okay. and, and, you know, one of the things about this is some of the areas of parents' rights... Like, some of it has not fully played itself out in U.S. law. Okay. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some of it's not totally clear, yeah. like, the right that you do have. And different institutions might argue different things. And different schools might look at it different ways depending on the people that compromise them. That's the thing, interpretation. It is. But, but the, the thing about it is because the court system in America in general, especially the Supreme Court, has become more conservative recently, it's actually the right time to challenge these things. That's true. That, that's, that's the thing about it. Now, most schools, I will say, they will not want to get into a court challenge with yeah. parents and this type of thing. That's the only thing people have to understand. Most schools, they do, they, most schools want their parents to be happy with yes. what they are that's doing. True by far and away, especially the administration in the schools. Because yeah. no principal wants to be in a situation where in the spring and budget time comes around, they're telling the staff, well, we got to reduce the staff by 20% next year because, because all these families are taking their kids out of the school. No administrator wants that. Again, this is a source of leverage that families have. Yeah. And, and I, I'll tell you, too, immigrant parents in general, they tend to approach the education system like they have to prove themselves yeah. to the school or this type of thing, yeah. you know, yep. and, and yep. they're, they're worried about the school, how the school is going to view them in this type of yeah. thing, you know, and, and they're worried about them calling the government on their kids or this yeah. type of thing. And there's some reasons why they have that concern. Yeah. But, you know, in the suburbs, the white families, the upper class families in the suburbs, they treat the school like it's their service, yeah, so. you know, <laughs> so some of those parents, they email the teacher every day about what is going okay. on. You need to do this. So it's not it's not like teachers are yeah. unused to to parents advocating for them, this type of thing. No, it also it's important too, and you'll probably agree is 
not only for you to voice those concerns, but to coordinate with other Muslim co- uh, families, 100%. that'll be more powerful. You know, a- actually, what I what I what I hope to do in the future is create like um, create a sort of criteria, yeah, or or like a checklist of does the school do this type of thing? Do they not do this type of thing? That can be like a comprehensive evaluation for the Muslim community to rate schools. Yeah, do, do you get yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow, it's it, it's awesome. it's like, do they give the kids a place to pray? You know, do they have oh, accommodations wow. during fast? Yeah, like, you know, do do too. they inform families about okay. sex education? Do they give you an explicit option to opt out? All that type of stuff. You you put it out. You can have a rating system one through five. You know, the, the, even the Masajid, they could engage kids about what's going on in their schools to get some of this information. They can ask the schools directly. Yeah. And you can, in that way, too, give the schools the sense that the community is explicitly evaluating them. And that puts pressures on the schools as well. And believe me, there's other communities that do this type of yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm there's sure. other sure. communities We're that do behind. this type of thing. We're behind big sure. time. When it comes to even, okay, the next big thing that I wanted to discuss with you is a lot of Muslim kids are failing or mm-hmm. I wouldn't say failing but they're mm-hmm. behind yeah. the education yes the basics of reading and math yeah and a lot of parents are now actually spending a lot of money on Kuban or like mm-hmm. places tutoring and so on mm-hmm. and so forth why do you think this gap exists is it the language barrier is it yeah what, well, what well look, elements? It, it's a lot of things yeah look to be honest even more so than the LGBT LGBT stuff. Yeah. This is the biggest reason why I say to parents that they should take their kids out of public education. Mm. Yeah. There is really not a quality education going on for yeah. the most part in public education. Interesting. Public edu- and I talk more about it in my book. There's a whole thing I turn try to turn the public I'm trying to turn the public education system onto. Yeah. Flawed educational methods are rampant in public education. Yeah. This, I actually I did a podcast about this with Sajid Lipham uh, last summer. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a re- re- upload on the, onto my channel. It's called how progressive education ruined education. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So true. It, it, it is, it, and you know, so the thing about reading, like reading's just not taught well. It's not mm. taught well in schools, you know. And actually, it begins in early elementary school by not teaching phonics explicitly enough. Okay. And you guys probably have some idea. You know, the English language it has more exceptions than Arabic. In Arabic, it's more perfectly phonetic yeah, than yeah. English. Yeah. But English, 80 to 85% of English is still based on a core of predictable phonetic rules. But what schools, are, but the common methods and theories are that you teach, the, you teach sight words first. You teach the exceptions first. And that's actually confusing a lot of kids in the whole way that English is even supposed to be read. And that, that, that's really just one example of how, how bad education is. So, yeah. so, I mean, the biggest reason for parents to take their kids out of the public education system is they're not getting a great education. Yeah. You know, if, if parents themselves don't know how to bridge that gap at home, I mean, it's tough. You know, so some of these tutoring programs are alternatives. Families, you know, it's, it's a good time to start looking at trying to do that type of education full time. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of teachers and programs that have developed out there, you know, maybe teaching online, maybe teaching locally. And inshallah, in the future, there will be more of these things sprouting up. But, you know, the thing is, really, even if you are sending your kids to the public education system five days a week, you, you still have to take charge of their education. True, true. Yeah. You, you know, with reading in particular, you know, if a family doesn't speak English, this is tough. But the best thing you can do with kids for reading is read to them from a young age. Yes. Really? Like, what age do you think? Uh, like three months. <laughs> okay. Like, as, like as soon as, 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 as soon as, as they can, as, s- as yeah. soon as they can sit on your lap, yeah. and they sit on your lap and just have you have the book in front of them reading to them. Yeah. 
that that just builds a positive association with reading in general with them, but with the connection between the form of reading and the warmth yeah. of your body that yeah. they're getting from you as their parents. Yeah. You know, they'll also get just used to things like the intonation of reading and all that type That's of stuff. That's true. That's there, true. There, there are some kids who figure out how, how to read more or less before the age of five just from having their parents do that. I mean, they learn reading just from listening to their parents. Yes, yeah. and, and the parents showing them the text and guiding them through the text. No, that's not every kid, that's but, every but kid. it's something that is well known over long-term studies. A huge differentiator between people who read well and don't yeah. in adulthood is how early their pa- own parents mm. start reading with them. That is honestly the biggest thing the parents can do as far yeah. as reading. What do you do with Muslim parents who are dealing with the original mm. native language? Because mm-hmm. a lot of parents, they don't want to lose their tradition and culture. Correct, yeah. So their main emphasis is actually mm-hmm. making sure these kids mm-hmm. hold on to their mm-hmm. native tongue mm-hmm. instead of teaching them a new tongue. Mm-hmm. So the kids well, are kind of like... I, I actually think that's a good idea. Yeah. That, that is actually a good idea. It's best if it involves some literacy too. Yeah. Now the thing about kids who are multilingual, being multilingual is actually a huge advantage for you in Absolutely. the yeah. long term. So, some of those kids, they, they won't be as strong academically in early elementary school. Of course. So, so I mean, that's just kind of something to know and grapple You're, with. Yeah, life is a trade-off. Yeah, mm-hmm. w- one thing I will say to parents, especially in Minnesota, they need to know about, because we have a lot of these kids who th- they're growing up and their parents don't speak English, but yeah. for all intents and purposes, English is their first language. Yeah. Okay, a lot of those kids... They are still being classed as English language learners by the education yeah. system. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's, there's speci- yes, correct. There's specific mechanisms that do that. <clears throat> I am not of the opinion that that type of kid is best served by ESL classes. No. That kid is best served being in the mainstream classroom yeah, yeah, and being right. exposed to other kids who speak English well. Something that parents in Minnesota need to understand in particular, when they register their kid at a school, they will ask them to fill out something called a home language survey. That home language survey is kind of intentionally meant to be confusing. It has four different parts to it and like three different grades of answers you can give it. Yeah. If you indicate on that survey that the kid has been exposed, not just speaks, but been exposed to any language other than English at yeah, home, like. yeah, they will give him then an assessment to see whether or not he qualifies for English language mm. services. Now, the thing about that assessment, sometimes... It's honestly hard enough that even a native English <laughs> language speaker could fail, yes. Which would just eventually take them down that exactly. pathway. And a lot of times, too, in the registration process, the person doing the assessment, they, they don't communicate to the family what a big deal it is. They'll just be like, yeah, oh, this yeah, is something yeah. we do when you're registering, just a little test we give or whatever. And actually, there's financial incentives for uh, the district to do that way because when the kid is labeled as ESL, more, more, money. more money for the more school. Yep. So families need to know. Now, if the kid genuinely, genuinely, like English is not his first language, he should be in ESL classes. Okay. But I'm of the opinion these young kids who are growing up they and for all they think well. in English, yeah. especially in early elementary school, they should be in the mainstream classes and not in ESL. Yeah. So that fa- families need to know that because a whole bunch of families have been um, – have been fooled by that essentially yeah, for yeah. sure especially here in minnesota yeah. and another thing too is even if uh, they don't fill out that survey correctly and the kid still gets the assessment and puts them in esl any family has the right to take the kid out of esl services a lot of fam- yeah a lot of parents don't realize that they have a federal right to do that yeah i didn't even know that yep. that's wild mm-hmm. okay. and, and it's the same with special education as well oh you, you, you know, have special, a right to take them special out. education is probably a bigger one yes, that's that's really the next point that i <laughs> wanted to talk about <laughs> special education a lot of young especially in the somali community our young boys are really active. Yes, I know. And a lot of mm-hmm. teachers see that as 
you know what yeah, I mean? a yeah, form yeah. of disability, unfortunately. I know. You know? Well, I mean, this is the thing about special education, because a lot of things are classed in special education. Okay. Yeah. You know, actually, even kids who are really advanced, such as a kid who skips a grade, those kids actually have to be spe- uh, they have to be classed as special education as well. Oh. A lot of people don't realize that. Okay. So special education encompasses a lot of things. Now, kids who have a certain medical disabilities are going to be in special education, yeah, and they usually should be by their diagnosed medical disabilities. Right, right. Schools do not diagnose medical disabilities. Mm. No, no one in schools has the authority to do that or the expertise to do that, and they don't do that. Now, in special education, there are classifications such as uh, reading disability or, or, or learning disability or um, emotional behavior. Yeah, that can become a medical diagnosis, but some of those things like they can be classed that way in the school, but it doesn't mean the kid has a medical diagnosis. Okay. And yes, a lot of times these things are used, especially with the young boys, especially in elementary school, when the teacher doesn't know how to handle that kid properly. They, don't, they, they, they weren't trained well, they themselves. You know, you have to be very, very patient with kids to, yeah. to get them to respect you. True, yeah. true. So they're not earning the respect of kids, and the kids may be misbehaving in school or whatever, and special education can become a, th- a bin where you throw those, try to throw those kids into. And I've talked to families who've done that. You know, any family who they, that, that's the type of situation, I recommend that they refuse special education services, especially for kids where it's just like, well, he's having a behavior issue. Yeah, that yeah it's thing. all behavior, especially, mm-hmm. you know, specifically speaking in the Somali community. Mm-hmm. And naturally, I think, I don't know what it is. Naturally no, well, growing a, up. Well, I know there's a, it, that's true. Yeah. But then the most common classifications for these would be ADHD. Right. And ADD. Yeah. And so this is immediately what they're like, oh, yeah, high energy, mm-hmm. that's what he has. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes a kid may not even have that. Right. And then they're placed into those things. And so when you make them believe that they do, mm-hmm. then they begin to even act a little bit differently themselves. It's just a whole mess. Yeah. That, and, you see, now that gets a little tricky because, you know, families, what I would recommend doing, you know, you want a doctor or, or a psychiatrist to yeah. diagnose ADHD. You know, but what doctors and psychiatrists will do sometimes is they will ask for information from the school, and then they and then they will take what the uh, school tells them okay. and, so, and calculate um, that into the diagnosis. So that is a hard thing about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean that's a hard thing. Yeah, you know, I, honestly, if I were counseling a family who was going through that, I would tell them to take them to the. You know, actually, if if they don't have any concerns about the kid outside of the school context. The, you shouldn't pursue that route, in my yeah, opinion, yeah. because a kid mm. who actually has a disability or something, they're going to exhibit those problems across contexts. Yeah. And actually, you know, this is a whole thing in the Muslim community because a lot of kids, when they go to Duxi or the Madrasa, that is a separate context. Yeah. And if a kid is fine in one environment but not in the other one, it does suggest that it's not like a neurological it's problem. Most likely no, an right. environment issue. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so families do need to know that. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, you know I wouldn't take it up based on what the school says alone. No, that's a great a great point. Yeah. No. And, and they and they and families should not allow themselves to be pressured into putting the kid mm. into special education. And they will try to. Yeah. They will. They will. And and they and, and and special education teachers as well. The if there's not kids labeled as special ed, they don't have a job. So so they want kids labeled mm. as special. Another thing actually too. So something that families need to know about special education. If a school is considering a kid for special education. 
they first need to notify the parents once they are considering it. Yeah. After they are considering it, they are supposed, whatever the issue that they say, it's a behavior issue. They are supposed to try to fix that issue with specific interventions for 12 weeks mm. before they actually put them in special education. Right. They're supposed to be collecting data and information on what they're doing and reporting it to the parent the whole way through as well. Now, I, I did work at a charter school where they actually did that process very, very well. Yeah, yeah. A lot, and, and, some, and that charter school, it actually had more oversight than a lot of these districts okay. do. A lot of times, district special education teachers, and again, the teachers union gives them protection, which gives them protection from accountability as well. A lot of times, they will greatly shortcut that process. Mm. They will inform the parent that they're considering it. They might wait, wait one week or try one thing or this type of thing and say, we want to put them in special education. And special education teachers, they have a financial incentive to have more kids yes, in special course. education. Because if they run out of kids being labeled as special ed, they won't have a job yeah. next year. And then probably the best uh, targets are families who don't know the system 100%, very well. 100%. And are immigrants. 100%. And, the and, and you know, especially in elementary school, you know, when you're an elementary teacher and you have that one kid who's giving you a hard time, it seems so appealing to just have him get, get him in a different yeah, room for most of the day. So he's away in the special right, ed right, right. type of thing. Unbelievable. All right, next thing that I want to discuss is there's generally a level of fitna that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, <laughs> engaging Muslim <laughs> students in a public school environment. Yeah. There's uh, a general, like, yeah. a test of your deen, a test of your iman. Totally. Um, what can, how can we make sure Muslim students have the proper tools to succeed in this type of environment? Well, well look, the first, like, I mean, I know I keep plugging my book and my program, and teachers can take my training through abrahameducation.com. Yeah. They can sign up there. But look, you know, first, firstly, there's accommodating religious practice. Yeah. Now, Muslim kids in public schools in the West and teenagers, especially the children of immigrants, they've been put in a really hard situation because they themselves, most of them want to do it, and they have pressure from the religion, the community, the parents, all this psychological pressure to do it. But they have to, in order to do it, they have to do a type of advocacy that where has that had to have been done before? Yeah, you know, if yeah, their yeah. parents grew up in the Muslim no world, precedent. they didn't have yeah. to do that. Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, something I tell teachers in the train in the book, you, you know, they, they have to understand the entire Muslim world is revolved around accommodating these practices. So they have, so you don't get effective accommodations when the school itself does not have a thorough understanding of what the yeah. prayer and what it all entails, that type of thing. Yeah. So that type of education needs to be done proactively because otherwise it's too hard for the kids and it's too easy for them to just uh, justify and skip out. True, true. And, you know, then even when the school does try to accommodate it and they don't do it effectively, you know, the kids end up misusing the time, this type yeah. of thing, and all types of animosity takes place. You know, as far as other types of fitness, I mean, there's all types. You know, I, I recommend parents, you know, the, the best years to not have your kid in school if you can't homeschool them the whole way through is fourth through eighth grade. Mm. Th those are, it, it's really? a, yeah, it's around ninth through, t it's around age nine, 10, where kids, they get a little bit more advanced awareness of their peers. Of That's when you first start to have kids thinking about the impression of other kids. Okay. So, so kids who misbehave under, you know, third, fourth grade, age nine or so, it's usually a lack of impulse control or it's like yeah. overstimulation. This type yeah, of yeah, yeah. Misbehave. Yeah, yeah. It's age nine, 10, like about fourth grade where you start having kids misbehave for the sake of impressing other kids. That's true. That phenomenon pretty much only increases up until about ninth grade. Mm. A lot of times into ninth grade, it's maybe around age 15 where kids start to try to turn a corner right, with that. Right. 
I'd say around age 16, they mature to a point where they can start to connect with adults a little bit about that age. Yeah. But but the peer culture in those grades from fourth through eighth, it just becomes extremely oh toxic. It's extremely toxic. And, you know, American society itself does not have a handle on it. No. School, you know, I would say teachers these days, they're more likely to, to give it. I mean, you know, the kids who have the most social power in school, they're the kids who are the most into whatever is going on in pop culture yep. exactly. or, 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 you know, or the ugliest things going on in social exactly. media. And they're the kids who come into school and imitate those things the most. Yeah. And, and a lot of times these are the kids who have the most problems in their own background. Mm. And they're doing this type of behavior. As a relief. Yes, to reconcile their own emotional issues. And meanwhile, you have the other kids who they're feeling this peer pressure to act that way or act like that is <coughs> they, cool as they, they literally run the, the school. Correct. Yeah, you yeah. know, and at those ages, when, when you have kids, you know, in that environment, six to eight hours a day, five days a week, 180 days out of the year, you know, their own sense of self-worth and value becomes very attached to their success in that type of yeah. social environment. Yeah. You know, so that's where you get, you know, they'll start to have tension between, well, my parents want me to do one thing, but the social pressure is telling me to do another thing. You know, and that is where nefarious forces are really ripe to take advantage exactly. of them. And all this type of stuff. So, so those are really the best ages to not have kids in school if you can. Mm. You know, if not, and I have a parenting course on my channel as well on Abraham Education. Yeah, very important. That I did this summer for free. I live streamed it every Saturday. Inshallah. You know, one, one of the best things you can do to mitigate this type of thing with kids is talk about them what's going to take place in their own minds, their own psychology beforehand. Before they go into it. Yep. So that peer pressure that starts to creep in around fourth grade, you want to talk about that with the kid when they're in second grade okay. or early in third grade. You want to say to them, you know, when you get older, you're going to start seeing kids disrespect the teacher. You're going to start hearing kids talk about things that as Muslims we don't talk about. Yeah. You have to know right now that those kids are doing that because they have their own emotional issues in their background. It's not because they're cool while they're doing it. Right, right. And you know, you when you see kids doing that, you want to stay away from it and you want to come home and we'll talk about that type of thing. You know, that way when those kids when kids see it, you know, what it triggers in their mind is, oh, this is what mom and dad were talking about. So yeah. this is important to frame it for them at exactly. that young age. Correctly. Right. Yes. No, exactly. this is good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it builds trust with the parents. I mean. Okay, about that, too. Yes. So <laughs> it's, it's cool to frame things for, for kids. Yeah. But also, it's probably equally as important to have a good relationship with your kids and 100%. be active yeah. in their lives. Yes. Because if you're just like, you know, every now and then they see you and, they're, and you're like, hey, by the way, watch yeah. out for this stuff. They're like, <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Right? And just probably just um, uh, ignore you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. No, I just I wanted to add that part because you you could be doing one thing and then not the other. Yeah. And that could have like a and, and someone will say to parents you, you know the general advice that i always give the way that you have success with kids the way you build good relationship with them also the way that you build authority with them mm. and the kids having a sense of authority is very important is you have to be calm with them and a big mistake a lot of parents make is they're too reactive and they're too t- and yeah. teachers make this mistake actually yeah. as well. they're too tense in how they react to them so anyway, I'm sorry I keep plugging my things over and over again. No, but pa- part of what I go over and no, people need the yeah. resources. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what I go over in my parenting course in, on Abraham Education, the first thing I uh, address it with it is nonverbal communication. Mm. Like when a kid does something you don't want, or they trigger you this type of thing, you know, kids are annoying. 
kids kids are are inherently <laughs> annoying to older yeah. people. They 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 are. Yeah. So they they trigger stress reactions in you all the time. Now, if you just operate on those stress reactions, you end up yelling at them, yeah. you end up scolding them, you end up shaming them, all this type of stuff, and that will break down the relationship over time. And that is where kids will lie to you a lot when they mm. get into adolescence because they'll be too afraid of what you're going to do when you react to them. Now, you don't want to go to the opposite end of just letting kids do whatever they That's, want yeah. or just I'm going to give you candy to do what I yeah. want or whatever that type of thing. You don't want to do that either. That no. wrecks their motivation as well. Yeah. But, you know, but there, you know, actually the people who dealt with the issue of behavior management in schools the best are people who looked at nonverbal communication the closest. Okay. And it's not the stuff most studied, but in my experience teaching, it is by far and away the stuff that's most valuable. So I put that stuff into a course on my YouTube channel because I want parents to know about it because a lot of it is really, really effective stuff for how you deal with your kids in a way where you get them to listen to you, you get them to respect, to, respect you, in a way that maintains authority with them. Yeah, especially we just don't have the upper hand in the culture Correct. as well. So exactly, yep. there's certain things we can't do already. That and and also, too, you know, there's so much pressure in the culture upon, upon parents essentially to not care about their kids. Mm -hmm. And what I yeah. mean by that is, oh, you just have to let kids be who just they are. Them, yeah. You just have to let them, you know, yeah. find Explore. their own. Exactly, that type find of stuff. Themselves. Now, you know, there's a degree <coughs> to which that is true. true. But, yeah. you know, as Muslims, and because we know the difference between right and wrong, we do have some specified boundaries we Absolutely. don't want our kids to cross Absolutely. and we do have some specified outcomes that we want the kids to exhibit when they get older yeah so we don't want to be on that train of just let them do whatever they want no and you know and there is some good stuff in like parenting books by the non-muslims and parenting psychologists oh, yeah. type of stuff which is but 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 foundationally this is a problem with yes. it. it airs too much on the you know let them find themselves that type of thing oh god no we want to look at the stuff where it's, it's focused on maintaining the adult's Absolutely. authority but doing it in a way where the main where the relationship is maintained. I think it's well. important. Not not enough Muslims don't they we don't do this work. So that's yeah. why we have to rely on, you yeah. know, external uh, non Muslim resources. But just good thing that we have people like Michael Abraham Michael and that's why and we need you to keep plugging in. Exactly. Keep plugging in all your uh, programs, inshallah. Exactly. Okay. But the um what what brings me to mind and we have to mention this, uh, is is the Prophet exactly. as a a person, as a father figure, mm -hmm. as a teacher, mm -hmm. right? as someone who's a counselor in his lifetime he gave certain sort of um, advices mm -hmm. to the kids so mm -hmm. if and then and then what i find interesting is that it's the ages in which he recommended mm -hmm. he said at the age eight if they're not praying discipline them no. to pray mm -hmm. right and then and when you look at the way he also deals with younger companions mm -hmm. when they are not doing what he wants them to do mm -hmm. he smiles you know, because he already has that great relationship. And so for them, they have like a ad, they, they admire him to a point where they don't want to disappoint him. Exactly. Right? That's and exactly so, it. So this is that sort of, and this the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرَةِ وَذَكْرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا That the Prophet sallallahu in him is a, is a, is a, um, the best a example. moderate yeah. best example yeah. for you to follow right mm -hmm. and people only think of it as just being a Muslim mm -hmm. in the religious uh, frame but yeah. it's holistically yeah, right absolutely. as a father as a you know as a counselor arbitrator even general you get to the military so everything oh, about him mm -hmm. and this is why it's important to know the Prophet as a 
model for us because then in these situations it will help even what you're saying is the authority mm-hmm. even though the prophet was nice and he was calm and mm-hmm. he was but he always made sure that in his household he was the authority no. right and he didn't give that up mm-hmm. and but his children respected him right. and they loved him and they admired him for it so it's a certain way you do things and, and so yeah you know and the thing is too kids actually want an authority figure yeah. and, and you know that's all thing too <laughs> like it's a really a mistake especially with teenagers to think that like they want to be left alone mm. that's a big mistake people make with teenagers a lot you know, they, they want to be approached the correct way, yeah. mm. but, but they don't actually want to be left alone. And right. they, they want good advice, and yes. they want guidance. They want yeah. to know the difference between what's going to work and what's not going to work. And they yeah. want to know the difference between right and wrong. They do. But, you know, they, they only have so much control over their emotions is what it comes down to, and they only have so much control over their impulses. Exactly. It's just something that develops over time. Yeah, but just understanding that helps, too. And that's why the younger parents mm. have that opportunity 100%. to change that, you know, the way things are going so break that cycle yeah said if somebody wants to get this book how can mm-hmm. they get it amazon amazon now yep. okay. okay so engaging with some students in public school what educators need to understand michael abraham um is this your only book that's my only book yep okay. so we're okay. hoping for the next one <laughs> <laughs> shall i maybe a parenting one coming out but oh yes so also your two your youtube channel shall i'm going to link it below yeah please do it just that's the best way people can reach are you currently teaching as well yeah i am i'm going back to school on monday okay which school uh, heritage, uh, heritage. It's called Heritage STEM Academy now. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Oh, no, you teach heritage. heritage. I teach yeah, heritage. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> <a school>. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows heritage. Mashallah. Oh, yeah, everybody has uh, a famous about school. Fika. This is great work you're doing. May Allah uh, assist you in it and make it easy for you. Jazakallah khairan. Thank you so much for having me on, brothers. No, no, no definitely. This was one of the most powerful episodes that we've had because exactly. this topic, we've never ever spoke on it on this platform here. And it's one of the most extremely important. Extremely. I mean, beyond yeah. importance. Subhanallah. And inshallah, and th- we're gonna we we need a part two in this. Inshallah. <laughs> I think now, this was just like so much information one time. Yeah. Once we digest it and look through, and maybe I'll get to inshallah finish this book. Mm. After that, we can really like get into the inshallah. detail work. I look forward to inshallah. Today was a lot of general stuff. Correct, what yeah. the people want to hear. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And next time, we want to talk about what the people really need to know. Yeah, exactly. Inshallah. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. been an honor having you. Oh, it's right. been an honor being here. Exactly. Well, really really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Uh, shout out to all of you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. And inshallah, let us know your thoughts. Uh, leave the comments and feedback. Connect with engaging Muslim students in public schools. You can buy it from Amazon right up here. Okay, inshallah. And we'll put the inshallah, the link maybe from Amazon link yeah, yeah, down we'll below, inshallah, we'll inshallah. So yeah. people can get it. And, and please refer educators to abrahameducation.com. Abraham okay, if your kid A goes to school, please oh, tell yeah. them to go to abrahameducation.com. The, the training I do is by the same name. You know, uh, teachers, they get continuing education credits for doing the training a lot of times oh, teachers they're more interested in the training than they are in the book of oh, course okay. so so please recommend that to your if you're sending your kid back to school that's a you know in the fall here please please recommend that, that helps every teacher to better understand the muslim students 100%. i mean i mean this is a work that's very very needed and so um for your time yeah, today cool. i know it was a last minute notice and i really <laughs> really apologize it's all good Uthman, any less in closing uh, statements i think you know this is an important topic and um, we, you know, it's actually good to shine some light on the work you're doing, and um, resources like this for the Muslim community here. Yeah, um, they need to be more aware of it, and we need to be more aware of how to handle these situations. Mm-hmm. Before it was haphazardly, and you know, we were trying to just scribble and scramble, but 
um, if we're going to live in this country, we need to know how it works. No. Oh, yeah. And if we're going to have kids, yeah. we need to know how the school and the education system yeah. works here. Inshallah, we'll close with that. Wassalamu alaikum wa sallam ala nabina wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Until next time.